Good morning. Welcome to Prodigal Church. We love to have a good time here. Let me get the lights up so I can see your pretty faces. Uh, we're so glad you've joined us in week two uh, of the existence of Prodigal Church on Sunday mornings. Uh, we couldn't be more excited what God is doing um, in this community, and uh, we're just so grateful for you guys. Uh, last week was our first of our core values, and it was Jesus, right? That Jesus is the center of our faith. That we're not necessarily people of the book, we're people of the person. That we follow Jesus above all else. And our second week here, um, our second core value is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Jesus names it 118 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he displays it, tells a story about it, and shows that as the example of it many more times throughout the Gospels. Uh, now, central to the word kingdom, it's a, it's a medieval word, right? The word is king, which is about a person. There's a person at the center of this kingdom. But it's a king domain. Uh, a king domain. The kingdom is focused on the king. Uh, it, to define it, let me put it this way, and you can write this down in your notes. A kingdom is a realm in which one will and one way hold sway. Okay? A king, the kingdom is the realm in which one will and one way hold sway. Hold sway, that is, most influential. The kingdom is what it looks like when God is reigning, when God's in charge. The kingdom of God is how the world is supposed to be. The world God wants it to be. The job for us as followers of Jesus is to help the world be what it's supposed to be. That's what Jesus prays, right, and teaches us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So our, our, our job as followers of Christ is not just to escape this world and go to heaven, but rather to bring heaven to earth. Peace instead of violence, justice instead of injustice, compassion instead of indifference, love instead of hate. And right out of the gate, in, when Jesus begins his ministry, he proclaims the, the kingdom of God. Here's a few passages in the Gospels. Mark 1.15 says this, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent is a very kind of churchy, spiritual word. It just means change your mind, okay? Change your mind. Think differently. Matthew 4, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Luke 4, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Early in my church years, in my beginning relationship with Jesus, there were only two questions that mattered. And when people, when we would be trained for evangelism, uh, we were trained to ask two questions to any stranger uh, to try and provoke a conversation about the gospel. And uh, this is called evangelism explosion. Anybody familiar with this? EE, -E, okay? We were all about EE -E back in the day. And those two questions are this. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go and why? The second question is very similar. If the world were to end tomorrow, do you know where you would go? And I think that those two questions are important questions. But I've come to the realization that they're not the only important questions. Alongside those two questions, I think there should be two more. And that should be that if you weren't going to die for another 50 years, what kind of person do you want to become? And if the world wasn't going to end for another 500 years, what kind of world do you want to create? And I think that those are just as essential to the good news of Jesus than the first two. 
We limit the kingdom of God when we reduce its meaning to heaven when we die. I've come to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't call our attention to leaving this world, but to loving this world. I think we neuter the power of Jesus' teaching when it all revolves around leaving this world and going to the next. Injustice becomes less of a concern for us. Reducing the kingdom of God to a singular salvation experience is to miss the beauty, wonder, and adventure that we are to be a part of this side of the grave. That's what it's about. It's about the abundant life that Jesus gives us in the mission of God in our world. And so this morning, we're going to look at several aspects of the kingdom of God and how it plays out in our own lives. And it's by no means an exhaustive list, but it will help prime the pump. And I encourage you in your own time this week to read some of Jesus's uh, parables on the kingdom of God and look at your own life and see how uh, you can line up your life to the example we see in Jesus. What does God's kingdom look like? Number one on your notes is this. In God's kingdom, we're selfless, not selfish. In God's kingdom, we're selfless, not selfish. Philippians 2 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We must resist selfishness. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, This is tough. The the phrase selfish ambition here means strife or ugly self-promotion. Looking out only for yourself, not looking out for others. It says, regard others as more important. This is a tough one because most of us really think that we're more important than other people. That our opinion is actually better. And this comes out a ton in marriage. Uh, I like to be noticed by my wife. Uh, I want credit for the stuff I do around the house. Uh, The other day I replaced some light bulbs and she walks in the room and I purposely made the room very dark. And I was like, babe, come in here. And she walks in and she's like, why is it so dark? I don't know, turn the lights on. And then she turns the lights on, you know, it's so much light. And I'm like, look, babe, notice me. I did this. I I changed the bulbs. Praise me, I'm such a good husband. Never mind the fact that the bulbs have been out for three months. The point is, I fix them, okay? Notice how good of a husband I am. And even in my attempts in my relationship with my spouse, uh, even my attempts to uh, be selfless, I'm really doing that for me, to make me look good. I'm not doing it necessarily to bless her. Unselfishness is the dominant characteristic in love and therefore the dominant characteristic of the kingdom of God. To illustrate the inconvenience of this, because selflessness is always inconvenient, following Jesus is always inconvenient. Always. It is always easier and more convenient to do the selfish thing rather than the selfless thing. So to illustrate this, I want you to all picture yourself at the grocery store. We've all been there, right? We've all been to the grocery store. It's a great joy going And we're just going to walk through the store together, okay? You walk up and you grab a cart, and there's two carts. The first cart that you test has like a a dancing wheel, right? You guys have had that cart too? It shimmies any time it moves. Just one wheel. Just constantly shimmies. The other cart, perfect pristine, has like a heavenly glow to it. So you you grab the pristine cart. And just as you're turning around to take it into the store, an older lady is going to get Mr. Shimmy. What do you do? 
you give her the nice cart, and then you and your shimmying cart go through the grocery store. And then you're, you know, you're, you're getting all your items, okay? You're getting all your items, and finally you get to your last item, and your last item is my favorite food item on the planet. Pillsbury Doughboy cinnamon rolls, okay? <laughs> it's not a joke. This caused fistfights when we were young because we used to fight over which one had the most icing. Um, and, and so as you reach for the Pillsbury Doughboy cinnamon rolls, an eight-year-old boy grabs the last can at the same time. So you're holding the can together with him. You make eye contact with him. What do you do? What do you do? What's the selfless thing? You take that cinnamon roll and you poke him in his belly and go, hee-hee, you know? That's, that's what you do, okay? No, you give little man your cinnamon rolls. As a follower of Jesus, love is at the expense of self, and so you cry silently as the kid runs away with the can. Finally, you're at the checkout line. The lines are long, but in the distance, you can see 15 items or less. So you make your way to that line, and you count your items, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 19 items. What do you do? You stay in the 15 or less items, okay? God's okay with that. That's not a big deal. He's fine with it. So you stay in that line. You get to your car. You unload your groceries. Now you've got this cart. What do you do? There's a curb right there. You could easily just... <laughs> sinners, sinners, all of you guys. You're mean and selfish. You could pop it up on the curb. Or there's the sheep pin, right? The little sheep pin that you could throw it in. Or you could walk it all the way back to the store. Always following Jesus is inconvenient. And there are always really good excuses and justifications. Giving money is always inconvenient. Waking up early and helping the church set up is always inconvenient. Forgiving our enemy, always inconvenient. Surrendering our lives to God, inconvenient but is the way of the kingdom. He's more important than me. She's more important than me. This aging friend is more important than me. This little child is more important than me. That's unselfishness. That's love. That is bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that change things at your workplace and all of your relationships? Would unselfishness benefit your marriage? In so doing, you're bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, in God's kingdom, we move toward joy and contentment, not anxiety or strife. God's kingdom, we move toward joy and contentment, not anxiety or strife. Philippians 4, very familiar passage for many of you. Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a Happy Meal-sized hole in my heart that only a McDonald's Happy Meal could fill. And it wasn't the burger, it wasn't the fries, it wasn't the little shot glass of soda that they give you. It was the toy. It was the toy. Um, I love the 1980s toys that they had. Here's a few. You guys, some of you guys remember this, right? Oh, look, it's a burger. No, it's a phenomenal plastic toy. Okay, and then Muppet Babies was big when I was growing up. Love the Muppet Babies toys. Oh, so much fun. 
scrambling through the fries just to get to my toy. My soul was weary in a parched and dry land, and that toy was my water. I remember begging my mom, gotta go to McDonald's, gotta go. The problem with the Happy Meal is that it wears off. You never hear a kid say, I remember that Happy Meal I had last month. Boy, what great joy I found in that. It was fantastic. When you get older, you often don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals just get more expensive, right? Does this ring true for anybody? If I could just get that house, if I could just get that promotion or that job, if I could just marry that person, then I'd be happy. Jim Carrey, the great philosopher, said this. I wish everybody would get everything they wanted so that they could see that that's not the answer. I told you, philosopher. All righty then. I wish everybody would get everything they wanted so they would see that that's not the answer. And we're like, easy for you to say, Jim. You got everything you wanted. If we were on the other side, we'd, we'd see. It doesn't make us satisfied. The desire to know and be fully known can only be satisfied by God Almighty. Everything else pales in comparison. Haggai says this in chapter 1, verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Most of us, we just kind of do things without ever even asking questions if it's the best way or not. And here in the Old Testament, Haggai, the prophet says, give careful thought to your ways. I think that's a good word for us. Continues, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Is there a more fitting verse for our culture? You get money and you put it in your purse that has holes in it and it's gone just as fast as you got it. Have you ever experienced that continual longing for something? And once we get it, it just doesn't satisfy. There's this cartoon that I grew up with, um, Roadrunner, right? Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. You're familiar with this. I got a picture up here. Wiley Coyote, every single episode, buys products from Acme, right? And he buys this brick wall, and then he paints the road continually on it, and the Roadrunner goes, meep, meep, and he goes right through the wall, and then he tries to follow the Roadrunner and smack into the wall. He, he, he prepares this dynamite perfectly for the roadrunner, sets a trap. Roadrunner goes to it. Dynamite doesn't go off. He goes to look what's up. Boom, explosion. There's got to be a lawsuit somewhere in here. Acme is a horrible company. <laughs> so there's this scene where he finally catches the roadrunner. It's online. And he's like, oh, my gosh. The roadrunner is, like, dead on the street. Like, he has X's on his eyes and his tongue's hanging out. And he's like, finally... Then it shows Wally Coyote at his like, apartment, and he's cooking the Roadrunner, and he's got like a bib on, and he's got fancy music playing, and he's enjoying this. And then it fast forwards years down the road, and Wiley Coyote's like all disheveled. He has like, he's like in a bathrobe, and he has like no idea what to do with his life. He's an absolute mess. He finally got the one thing that he's always been after, and he found out that it just didn't satisfy him. He needed that pursuit. It gave him purpose. Oscar Wilde said this, the only thing worse than not getting what you've always wanted is getting it. It's so true, that continual longing, if I could just get there, then I'll be happy. 
why are you postponing your happiness? Why are you postponing your joy for a future event that may or may not take place? God says today is the day for salvation. Let's start today. The grass isn't greener where, you, where on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. If you were to channel all the energies that you put into dreaming about, I'll be happy if I just get there, and if you were to actually do good and live purposely for God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, you just might live the kind of life that you've always dreamed of. Jesus shouts to us, here, earth, people matter, you matter, today matters. Jesus speaks a whole lot more about how we live here on earth than he does about heaven when we die. As Haggai puts it, we eat but never have enough. That's the roadrunner. Every purpose in life pales in comparison to the kingdom message of Jesus. And because if you have a, any noble purpose in life, like say you want to provide for a great life for your family, what a noble, beautiful, wonderful, God-given purpose in your life. That's great. That's amazing. When you submit that purpose to the will of the king, your heart expands. You become a better father. You become a better brother. You become a better son or daughter. You become a better husband or wife. When you submit your will and your plans and your dreams to God and his will for our world, God expands your heart, your dreams, your visions, and your life here on earth. There's a peace and joy that isn't based on our outward circumstances. Paul explains it and he says, it's the peace that transcends understanding. It transcends, he doesn't even have words for it. He can't even describe it. He just goes, I don't get it. There's this peace where I could be in prison, in shackles, and I'm singing to God. I have a peace that isn't based on my outward circumstances. There's a joy that is greater than the problems of this world. We need that. That's found in the kingdom of God. It's this type of refusal that we see play out in a well-known parable of a rich businessman. While returning to work after lunch, saw a fisherman from the side of the river get up with a bucket of fish. And so the businessman goes up to him and goes, where are you going? He says, well, to the market to sell these fish. Well, how long did it take you to catch those? Well, it took a couple hours. Well, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'll just go sit on the beach with my family, drink some wine, chat with the passerbys. But if you keep fishing, you could catch enough to earn more money, the businessman said. And he said, well, why would, you, why would I do that? Well, you could buy better equipment, catch more fish. Within a few years, you could have enough for a boat, maybe a large net. Eventually, you might even have a fleet of boats. He says, well, and then what? Well, then you could retire and sit on the beach with your family, drink some wine, chat with the passerbys. Being a Christian is not a longing for the life that others have. It is your everyday life infused with purpose and meaning and beauty. God isn't trying to get you to where the grass is greener. He wants you to water the grass that you've been given. Invest in the life that you have in bringing God's kingdom, and you just might start living the way you've always dreamed of. Our last point is this. In God's kingdom, we're not only concerned with heaven up there, we're concerned with heaven down here. It's not just about heaven up there. It's about bringing heaven down here. Let's go back to those first sermons of Jesus in the Gospels. Let's read Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is come near. 
that the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he's referring to a state of affairs that is already beginning and demands immediate action on our behalf. Now, I want, I've used this before, and I just think it's so powerful. I want you guys to just engage in a thought experiment real fast, okay? You need, to go, you need a time machine. You're sent on a mission, and you're going to Montgomery, Alabama, 1850. 1850. And your task is to, to go to the first conservative church of Alabama, and you're going to convince them to change their position on slavery. How would you go about it? What would you say to them? I would suggest that you tell the truth. You tell them that you're from the future. And then you would tell them about the future. Tell them about a coming war that is horrible beyond comparison. Tell them about a log cabin in a man born in Kentucky. Tell them about the Emancipation Proclamation. Tell them about the 14th Amendment and the wrongs that it made right. Perhaps you could take them even further into our history and tell them about a woman from their own town who became famous because she wouldn't give up her seat on a bus. Tell them about a preacher from Atlanta who launched the Protestant Reformation and who will one day pastor in this same city. Tell them about the great man's dream. Tell them how he would die a martyr's death and change a country. Tell them where the future's headed. You might even tell them about the first African-American president. And then you would have to give them CPR. <laughs> you might say it like this. My dear Christian friends, I'm from the future, and I'm a prophetic witness to which is to come. And the future does not belong to you. The future does not belong to your system. The future does not belong to slavery. Slavery has no future. And if you continue to align yourself with that which is to be abolished, you will be held in contempt. The future belongs to emancipation. The future belongs to freedom. The future belongs to quality. The future belongs to justice. And if you were to preach such a message, you would in essence be saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you'd be lucky to get out alive. We are to be a foreshadowing of heaven here on earth. This is the message of Jesus. These things are what it means to be a part of God's mission in the world. It's not about staying safe within the church walls. It's about bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want to invite Stephen and the band to come up. And what does this look like practically? What does it look like to bring heaven to earth? So we help those who are sick because there's no sickness in the age to come. The future belongs to healing. So we bring peace with everyone. We long to live in peace because there's no violence or discord in the age to come. The future belongs to peace. So we rid ourselves of selfishness. We rid ourselves and clothe ourselves with selflessness because there's no place for selfishness in the age to come. The future belongs to love. So we rid ourselves of bitterness and anger because there's no place for it in the world to come. The future belongs to forgiveness. That's what it means to be a Christ follower, to bring the kingdom of God it's not about an exclusive club where we're saved and we're in and they're out. No, it's about making a difference and bringing heaven to earth. God's will being done, shining light into darkness, bringing justice to injustice, grace and peace and love amidst hatred, violence, discord. That is being the people of God. The good news doesn't just change our Sunday morning schedule. The good news permeates every aspect of our lives. We asked this question last week. The question is not whether Jesus is Lord of your life. The question is, is Jesus Lord of all? Because that changes how we live. God, I pray in Jesus' name 
that we would be on the front lines of bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That, God, your kingdom would come in the way we treat our kids. That your kingdom would come in the way we'd love our spouses. God, that your kingdom would come in how we love our enemies. God, I pray that the scandalous love of God would permeate every relationship in our lives. And that is bound to move the needle closer to heaven on earth. If the people of God would channel our energies into advancing your kingdom. What a beautiful world it will create. God, let us be pockets of heaven in our own communities. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for the ways in which we have been so focused on our own eternal destination that we forsake our calling for the mission of God in our world right now. God, forgive us for the ways that where we have justified injustice because we're so focused in on what happens when we die. That the world is, we're shouting at the world. We're shouting at the world that there's life after death and the world is shouting back to us asking, yes, but is there life before death? May our lives show that there's abundant life in Jesus before death. God, we thank you for the blessings we have in Christ. And I pray, God, that our character reflects your lordship and that our actions reflect your lordship in our world. You're a good, good father. And God, you speak over us that we're your children and that we're loved by you. Everyone in this place who has felt unloved or felt that you've done something so wrong that God can't forgive, run into the arms of your loving God who pursues you, who knits you together in your mother's womb. There is no place you could run too far away that God's love doesn't find you. He's pursuing you even now. That still small voice that might be knocking on the door of your heart now is God, but he's a gentleman. He knocks. He doesn't kick the door down. Spirit of the living God, would you knock louder in our lives that we'd let you in to every aspect of our lives. Help us to find our identity in you, that we're loved by you, that we're sons of the living God. May our purpose in life be enriched by your love and may we bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand together as we close with this song.